Hey everybody, what's going on? It's Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. What a great day. I had the opportunity to talk with Richie Kotzen today regarding his 50 for 50 album that was released on February 3rd, his birthday. I'm sure he got gifts from his friends, but he gave his fans a gift with this release of this highly anticipated album. I remember when it was announced last year, late last year, that it was going to be coming out. And this is kind of like a epic project that he decided to pursue. And the conversation we had, and you'll hear shortly that, you know, where his mind was at, where his, you know, his head was at during this whole process and, you know, why he decided to do it. Um, I don't know if every fan appreciates what this is and what he did. I can't think of any artist or band that releases a 50-song triple album, especially in today's day and age. You know, we live in a singles era, right? You know, similar to the 50s and you know the you know part of the 60s with the the 45 and when an artist would release a single they'd have a b-side we pretty much live in that era although now it's downloads right you know you have the song that comes out on a friday new music friday and by monday or tuesday you know if it's going to be successful because of the downloads because of you know where the music is going so we don't really live in an era where this is common. But even if it was an era in the past, in previous generations, I don't remember anything like this before. The closest thing that I can think of where a band or an artist released new material was the Use Your Illusion album with Guns N' Roses, with the two albums. And I think there was probably like 26 or 27 songs on the album. I, I don't recall. I don't have it in front of me. But that's the last time I can recall something like this happening. And I don't know the history of all the songs on Use Your Illusion. Uh, I know a few of them were written, you know, during the during the Appetite session when those songs were written. I think like Civil War maybe. I could be wrong. I don't, I don't know the history uh, of Guns N' Roses as well as I do other bands. But since then, I don't remember, I, I can't think of anything like this. And this is a huge undertaking. It is a project to put together a 10, 12 song album. Writing the record, putting the music together, the arrangements, all that. I mean, it's it's, you know, when bands go in the studio, I mean, I deal with, publicists and, and managers all the time that bands don't want to do interviews because they're recording. I mean, obviously they want to promote the record, but a lot of it has to do with how busy they are, you know, because their, their time is being sucked up in the studio. They're very focused on the project at hand, which is the new album that a band or artist is working on. You know, a, a normal album that is released is, is a big deal. And you have Richie Kotzen basically releasing three albums at once. I mean, four albums at once. When you consider the amount of songs that are on the record, I mean, if you, you know, just say thirteen songs on each record and fourteen on another one, 
um, you know, you could still technically release maybe five albums, you know, I mean, 10 songs. I mean, it's, it's a big deal. And we've talked a lot about Richie Kotzen, especially over the three episode review that we did of 50 for 50. And one of the things that myself and Crash Crafton brought up is why isn't Richie a superstar? And, and he should be a superstar because his music's so good. And no one disagrees with that. I certainly don't. I love his music. He's one of my favorite artists. But if he was a superstar and he had a recording contract with a big record company, this album never gets made. I, if it does, maybe not 50 songs, maybe something similar to Use Your Illusion. But you know, he talks about the process and he talks about you know, his own deadlines in the conversation and just knowing a little bit about how the music industry works. I don't understand or I don't ever see something like this ever being released by any artist. It is a monumental moment for Richie. It is a monumental moment for his fans. One of my Twitter followers, I think it's Skylabs, I think I brought this up earlier in another conversation, mentioned that there's no bad song. I mean, sometimes some people release a record with 10 songs on it, seven are good, three are maybe throwaways or whatever. These songs are incredible. And each song is a journey, as we talked about. Each song is its own, meaning it's not really connected to anything else on the album except for maybe a few moments here and there. But this is going to be the album that you must have in 2020. This is an epic release. This is pretty close to a masterpiece. And, of course, my mind and my opinion is skewed a little bit because I'm a huge Richie Kotzen fan, but I think you'll agree if you listen to this record. His influences shine on this album. The R&B, the funk, the soul, the rock and roll. You hear elements of Prince and James Brown and Stevie Wonder, Sly and the Family Stone. It's close to perfect. It really is. There's some songs that may have not connected with me yet, but that doesn't mean down the road that they won't. I've always said music is about timing, but even those songs that haven't grabbed me yet are still really good, are still good. I still appreciate the music and the song that was written. So you guys decide, you know, check it out. I'm always telling you to to buy, to stream, to listen. If you haven't listened to Richie before, this is a perfect place to start. I can't think of anything better for the new Richie Conson listener to sit down and absorb 50 songs over a couple weeks. I often joked with Crash before this album was released that, dude, this is going to be like 50 songs. I don't know who I'm going to talk to during the month of February. I don't know who I'm going to talk to during the month of February because I'm going to be listening to this all the time. It's that good. Some people may disagree with me and they're entitled to their opinion, but it's a kick-ass record. And I hope you guys enjoy the conversation. 
it's um, really interesting. Some of the things that he says about the recording process and his headspace during all this and what he had to do to accomplish it. Uh, it's amazing. It really is. And Richie Kotzen, 50 for 50, a 2020 must-have record. I know we're only in February, but I firmly believe it. It's going to be hard, hard to topple this record because it is, uh, it's, it's really good. So hope you enjoy the interview. Take care, everybody. Good afternoon, everybody. It's Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Hope everyone hope everyone's having a great day. Today's guest just released his epic triple album on Monday, February 3rd, 50 for 50. It is an album that uh, is 50 songs for his 50th birthday. Happy belated birthday to Richie. Our guest today is Richie Kotzen. How you doing? Hi there. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, thank you very much for doing this. Uh, I've been looking forward to talking with you since the album was announced that you were going to be releasing this uh, 50 for 50 album. And there's so many things that I want to get into, uh, namely, uh, how is or how are these songs selected uh, when you went through this process? I imagine, you know, throughout your career, you're writing different things and doing different stuff and you're connecting with things at a certain period of time in your life. How did you reconnect with some of these songs and how were these songs selected for this album? Okay. Well, um, basically what, what happened was I had finished what would have been a normal length record, right? So maybe I don't know the exact number, but let's say for argument's sake, I had 10 or 12 songs ready to go, ready to be released. You know, I was going to put something out in 2020. And um, so that was all set. And then I was on tour, and I, I don't really know exactly how and why this came to me, but I decided to try to see if I could finish, have a lot of songs that were incomplete, that were, that were in my, on various hard drives. And so... I thought, you know, when you go home, you ought to try and finish some of this material. And if you get to 50, because I have way more than, you know, 50 uh, of these incomplete compositions. If you get to 50, stop. And then you can put put them together and then maybe you could release it on your birthday because that would be kind of a neat, you know, story, 50 for 50, blah, blah, blah. So I, while I was on tour, I started going through um, the hard drive because I, I take this drive with me that it basically mirrors what is in my studio at home. And so I started pulling up um, the Pro Tools sessions and then I started taking notes on like, you know, what songs were in what various forms. Some songs like the drums were done. You know, a lot, a lot of songs I had drums that were already done. And then some songs were just like a bass guitar to a click, 
you know. Um, and so I went through, so which one of these do I think I can finish easily and which ones would take more time? And I also realized that once I got rolling on this, I would also start writing new stuff during the process. So as I was going through, maybe I had a song that, you know, was incomplete that was sitting on the drive for seven years. But then suddenly the next night I'd have a brand new idea. And so as much as we have songs here that I, I had finished that were started many years ago, there are songs here that were brand new that were just written, you know, a few months ago. And so it was kind of an interesting process. And then I, I, I got to, to the, to the magic number. And then, uh, I, I went on tour. I went down to South America, but, um, I wanted to have everything done before I left for that tour. So that's what I did. I had it done. And then once it was finished, I thought, okay, well, you know, now, uh, that I can you know, tell people that you did. It. <laughs> now, did you find when you were going through your catalog of what you had and what you didn't finish, did you find that you were concentrating on one era of material, like through a time period that, you know, maybe you had more than other time periods? No, nothing is archived that way. So it, it, I don't really, I mean, I guess there's timestamps somewhere uh, on the, on the session file, but I didn't, I didn't really, none of that registered to me. I just have, um, all these things, you know, it's kind of a mess, you know, uh, all these pieces are on the drives. And so I just pull stuff up. And it, the, the one thing that would happen was, some of these songs have been in my head for a long time. Like, for example, like the song Mad Bizarre, that lyric, uh, the storyline of the song and the melody, that's been floating around like for as long as I can remember. And the same thing with the song Mountains. Like, I had the concept for that song and the, and the melody, but I, I never could figure out quite how, how to tie the storyline together in a way that, that was appealing to me. And then finally, you know, it kind of happened. And then, you know, two of my favorite songs on the album. But as far as a specific era, I, I really don't know what was what as far as when it was started or, or not. The only thing I do know, there's two songs on there that were co-writes that I know that I recorded like in either like 99 or 2000 or somewhere around that time. And those two songs, uh, one is called More Than This, the other one's called Already Scarred. Those, those two songs have been sitting around for a long time. I don't know why I never released them. I, I, I love those songs. And, and, and so I, you know, I put those on there. And, and then there was another couple of songs that were done uh, for a long time, mixed and mastered, uh, play the field and, and wide open. Don't know why I never released them, but now there they are. <laughs> you know. You know, releasing an album or working on an album that is 10 to 12 songs is a project in itself. Doing 50, you know, to me is, I, I can't even comprehend that. How how was the session recorded? I imagine the physical demands of recording 50 songs is is huge. Did you, did you stretch it out over a, a period of time? Um, did you just work to get it done? And how was that? How physically demanding was that recording these 50 songs? Well, you know, you have to look at it like this. Let's use the number 15 because it might be, you know, 17 or it might be 13. But let's say 15 of the songs were done and they're already in the can. So, you know, now that knocks me down to 35. Um, and then in those, inside that 35, there may have been 
10 that were almost finished. They just needed some attention, you know, lyrically and, and production-wise. And so, you know, now you're knocking it down to 25. And then, you know, I ended up getting inspired and writing some new things along the way. So let's say I wrote five brand new songs, you know, that are only a couple of months old, for example. So then that knocks it down. I'll, I'll tell you where the real, where the real grind was, um, is lyrics because, and not that it was a grind, but that was the only thing that was like, all right, I got to really pay attention because the last thing, you know, if you don't have a storyline and you don't have a lyric, you don't have a song. I mean, unless you're making instrumental music, but that's not what we're talking about. So, uh, that was the, the element of like, you know, every now and then I, I just kind of like I run out of the fuel and then I, I, I shift gears to something else. And then, and then you notice there's three instrumentals in the record. So, so right, well, let me work on an instrumental and, and finish that. And then something sparked and then I come up with a, a new idea. But, you know, it's over the course of three months I was able to do this. But, you know, when it was done, uh, it's like the thought of going in the studio it's kind of horrifying. I have my studio set up. It's like this kind of thing where everything is mic'd up at all times. So like my drum set, all those preamps and the compressors and everything, that's all set up and that doesn't change. And same thing with the guitar um, and, and same thing with the bass. And so I can kind of bounce around. Um, and even with the drum set, like I have, a secondary, a second keyboard and a second monitor that's in the drum room. And so if I, I can hop behind the kit and play, and then if I realize, well, you know, I don't like something, I can, you know, right there, I can just punch in, highlight something and fix it. Uh, so it's an easy thing, but you know, it just the, the thing of engineering and, and the way it is now with the computer, like I, it kind of, it's convenient, but it's kind of maddening. And I, I can't, I did the record, it's done, but the thought of going in there and, and recording anymore, like I can't, I, I can't get near it. I have to just, you know, take a break from the, the, not the writing or the playing, but just the actual engineering, you know, process. Was there ever a moment where you felt overwhelmed? Like maybe I should just do a regular album and then maybe just release two or three albums, you know, three, four months later, release the next one. Did it ever feel like you bit off more than you can chew? Well, no, because I, I, I'm not under pressure. I don't have any, I mean, the only motivation to do this is just to, to do it. I mean, it, it wasn't, I didn't have a deadline. I mean, well, I do have a deadline. It's my birthday. But in other words, the, the point was, hey, if I can get 50 songs that I really dig together before February 3rd, then, you know, that could be pretty cool. And initially, I my timing was that I was giving myself, like, right up to January, because initially I thought I wasn't going to put a physical CD out. I just thought, well, I'll just do this as a digital only. And then one of my buddies said, no, 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 you can't do that. You have to have physical. So so then you know, I just figured, well, look, if I, get, if I get it, I'll put it out. If I don't, I still have a pretty badass record I can release, you know, I mean, by my standards, badass. I don't want to sound like I'm bragging, but, uh, you know, I still have a record that I can release if I don't make it through. Like, I kind of, I didn't care. I didn't care, really. So, like, I, if I do it, I do it. That's great. If I don't, so what? I didn't tell anybody I was doing it except for maybe two or three people. So, it wouldn't be like, 
I failed because, you know, it's just something I was trying to do internally. Um, but, you know, I did it. It, it exists. <laughs> no, I, we had fun um, reviewing this record. Our, our third and final installment of the review will post tonight, but we... You know, the last couple nights, you know, Sunday night we released part one of the review, and then last night we did part two, and it was great. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was awesome absorbing this record. Uh, Crash Crafton, who I'm sure you know, and I uh, did the three-part review, and we really enjoyed just, you know, digging deep with these songs and connecting with it. And, you know, one of the comments that I believe strongly is, you know, for someone to release 10 to 12 songs on an album, you know, maybe eight or nine of those songs will be really good or six of them will be really good. I have to tell you, Richie, there is not one bad song on this record. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal album. Wow, man. Well, thank you. Um, I appreciate that. I, You know, I when I do this, I try to, um, like I said before, like I, I don't have any pressure. I don't have any deadlines other than, you know, the, the birthday concept. But had I not gotten there, I didn't, you know, I'm not gonna, nothing bad is going to happen to me. I just didn't get there. Life goes on. But, um, you know, the, the point of the matter is, is that it really has to do with the songs for me. And so my only criteria was that I have to like the song before I put it on the record. And, and each song is a little different. It represents something different. So, you know, that's, that's my, my judgment is if do I like it? Do I want to listen to it? Well, then I know I can move forward. So, but the fact that you like it, thank you. I mean, that that's great because, you know, without other people liking it, then I'm just, you know, standing on the street somewhere holding a sign. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think what's really cool about this album, and one of the things we touched on, is how each song is separate from the next song. And that's so unique and that's so cool, especially, you know, when you think of like innocuous on the first disc where, you know, know, you're listening to the first 15 songs on the on the first disc and you're like, wow, this is great. These songs are awesome. And all of a sudden you hit us with something completely out of nowhere, unexpected. That that song was was one of the newest ones. It's funny. I, I was working on the record and I don't know what song I was working on. But I took a break and I came upstairs and I was talking to my wife and I picked up the acoustic guitar and I started playing that guitar pattern, which is kind of, it's kind of a ridiculous thing to play on the guitar unto itself. If you see it as, you know, it's just this really simple, you know, kind of thing. And I said, well, I hear a melody of it over this. I have an idea. And I ran downstairs and, uh, and then I wrote the song and, and that was one of the new the thing that was cool about this process is that, yeah, you know, there might be 26 songs on here that were already started that I had to go in and finish. But then in that process, I probably wrote another 10 or so, you know, that are brand new, uh, just by getting the creative wheels turning, you know, black Mark was another one that I just picked up the guitar and that, that whole thing just kind of came out. And I, I remember I ran downstairs, I had the whole song in my head and I jumped behind the drum set. Well, first I had to set a click track and, and, and build the, the session file. And then I, I, I hit the hit record and I got behind the drums and I literally played that song from top to bottom as if I was playing it with the band, which is me, but it was in my head. So all I was doing was drumming to a click track 
And then I went upstairs, because the studio is on two levels. So that keeps talking about upstairs and downstairs. So I went back up to the control room, and um, I, I started overdubbing. You know, I put the guitar down, I put a guy's vocal, and I started building the track. Uh, so that was one of the most exciting elements of, of making this record, was never knowing while I'm, you know, finishing a, an older idea, at some point something totally new comes out. So that was one of the more exciting elements of the process. And I feel that way as a fan, too. Listening to this album, as I mentioned, each song is kind of its own journey. So it's not connected to, you know, the song before. I think the only time that there was really like a one-two punch was the first two songs on the third disc. Yeah. And, and it's like... Oh, what songs are they? Uh, <laughs> got, uh, that would be... Uh, play the field and wide open, and I felt. All right, so there you go. Now check this. Check this out. I, I don't want to cut you off, but you said that at those two songs were recorded around the exact same time, which was about 2002, and they were uh, my friend Tony and I wrote those together and uh, and produced it together, and so um, they were done at my old studio. So they have a commonality between them, and you you picked up on that. So that's very interesting. Yeah, I felt that they were they worked very well together to open up the, the third disc. Was, I mean, and Wide Open's got a killer chorus as well, um, and I just enjoyed both of those songs. Thank you. Cool. So you yeah, mentioned you, you me got good ears. You, you you got good ears if you heard you know heard that because they were recorded within weeks of each other. Yeah, I, I felt that I was, you know, you know, I was trying to absorb all this, and I was like, "Wow, every song is different, and every song is cool," um, you know. And then I was in the car yesterday listening to the third disc, and then it hit me with those two songs. I'm like, "Wow, those two songs work excellent together." Cool, right on. You mentioned writing with uh, your friend. Was there any other collaboration on this record with any other musicians or writers? Yeah, uh, well, so there's four there's four co-writes on the record. Um, so the ones we just talked about, uh, and they're credited as such if you look at the liner notes. Um, and so, yeah, Play the Field was me and my friend Tony DeNero. And then, no, Play the Field is me, Tony DeNero, and actually Franklin Vanderbilt, who uh, plays drums now with Lenny Kravitz. But back then, um, he and I used to jam together a lot. And this is like, Back in 2001, 2002, uh, Franklin had a hand in, in Play the Field with us as well. And then the other two co-writes were written prior to those songs. The dates, I just don't have all my dates straight, but those these are the oldest four songs on the record. And so the other two I'm talking about is Already Scarred uh, and um, uh, More Than This um, were, were written with uh, a fellow by the name of David Zager and uh, Already Scarred there was a third writer named Ryan Keane and so the three of us wrote Already Scarred together uh, more than this was me and David so there's a total of four co-writes now as far as and then the rest of the record I wrote now as far as playing the instruments was it all you or is there anybody else that plays on the record um like 95% me so there's a, a horn, there's a trumpet solo on Dirty Tricks, and there's trumpet and saxophone on Dirty Tricks, and that's credited accordingly. And um, 
play the field. The drums are credited to Franklin Vanderbilt. Um, on there's a song called uh, "Losing My Train of Thought." There's another song. All the credits are on the record. There's another song where the drums are credited to Dan Petrush, who uh, was playing with me. Uh, you can see him in an old live video, live in Sao Paulo. Uh, I'm wearing a red shirt in that video. He's the drummer that did that tour, and we we used to play together a lot around LA. And so he ended up on the record because the song, ah, the song is called Same Old Town. Um, that song was part of uh, uh, the recording sessions for Peace Sign. And Dan was the drummer on uh, maybe half of the Peace Sign record I played and the other half Dan played. But the song uh, Same Old Town was never finished because I had the melody, but I didn't have the lyrics. And so, uh, you know, that was the easy one to finish. After all, all those years, I went back and then it sounded fresh to me. So I just wrote a story about it. You know, the lyrics, I wrote the lyrics, the storyline. And then everything else is me. I don't think anybody else sang on the record. I don't think nobody else played bass. I played drums and everything but the songs I just mentioned. Uh, there's some horns on there. Um, actually, there's one, one song where... The drums on the one song is half of it's me, and then the other half is Mike Bennett, who has been my touring drummer for the last seven or eight years. And so that was kind of interesting, <laughs> having two drummers on this, on one song. Yeah, that is interesting. I, I do have to say, you're drumming on this. I mean, we, we always talk about your guitar playing, we talk about your singing and you know your piano playing, but I feel your drums on this record is, is incredible as well. Thank you. Well, that's a nice compliment. Um, you know, the drums for me, I, I mean, I would never dare go out and try to do a gig as a drummer. I just don't have the stamina. You know, I, I probably wouldn't be able to get through one song in a concert. But um, when it comes to the way I work and write, I always hear the drums immediately because the drums and the lead vocal are directly connected. You know, it's the, the vocal melody and then it's the rhythm of the vocal melody, which really is going to determine, uh, for me at least, the vocal melody is going to determine the drum beat. I hear it, I hear it in my mind, I hear them connected together, you know. Um, and that's why it's kind of really frustrating sometimes to play with drummers that, and, and that's a, very much of a rock, a rock thing. You know, you hear the, the drum beat instantly when you have a vocal. And sometimes guys, you have drummers that are great drummers that for whatever reason, maybe they don't have a background in rock and roll or whatever. They just don't get it. It's like the, what they decide to play. It's like, do you not hear what I'm singing? You know? Mm -hmm. So that's why oftentimes it's much easier for me when I write to just do it myself because, you know, I kind of hear it already. Now what, what usually happens when I'm recording and happens often, I might hear something that I can't play. I, um, you know, drums is not my first instrument. And then if that happens, then I'll call someone that I know, you know, can, can do, get the job done. Um, but anyway, I'm going long winded here. Thank you for the compliment regarding my drumming. No, uh, no worries. I, I, um, I guess my, my next question is you mentioned you have more material. Does this mean next February 3rd, we're going to get a 51 for 51? <laughs> No, uh, absolutely not. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know. The thought of me making another record right now is like, it's 
the furthest thing from my mind, you know, after doing this and being in the studio that long. And, you know, like we talked about earlier, just the fatigue of, of engineering, which is the hardest element of all of it. I, I'm, I'm not planning on making a record for a long time. You know, I might put some singles out here and there, but, um, or, you know, maybe you, know, you might see a winery dog record pop up next year, but I'm not, uh, I'm not worried about making a Richie Cotton record anytime soon. Well, that's kind of different too, right? Because when when you after you did the last Winery Dog record, Hot Streak, you met you mentioned that you wanted to get back to doing Richie Cotton, and did yes. this, you know, did this fifty for fifty kind of give you some sort of fulfillment and some sort of satisfaction for a period of time where you can go and explore other things? Oh, of course, yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I I love the fifty for fifty record. I mean, I'm I'm so pleased with it. And I, I think, I, I think it's the greatest thing I've ever done for myself to 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 finish this material that's been living in my head for so long, and then have that inspire me to write brand new things. And you know, I I, I love the record, and so yeah, I feel very fulfilled with it. You know, um, so if I do anything else musically, then I think it would make sense for it to be something, well, definitely something more collaborative. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I think, you know, if I'm going to bother to do something, it would be nice to be more collaborative. So that that would, you know, obviously be something like the winery dogs, or maybe there's something else that we don't know about that might happen um, that would be an interesting collaboration. But yes, I'm very fulfilled with the record. And as, as we close here, you know, you're going to be going on tour. Um, you know, you play for, what, about an hour and a half every every time you play. You usually do five or right. six songs from your new record, from your new album. How are you going to choose which songs to play? You know, when you go out on tour. Well, I'm going to definitely play "Devil's Hand" because that's one of my favorites, and that's the one we just made the new music video for. And then from there, you know, it depends. It, it, a lot of the, the choices depend on, you know, how things are, you know, how well they translate with a power trio. You know, so I would imagine, you know, a song like As You Are would be a really fun one to play live and I think it would translate really well. Um, you know, a song like, uh, you know, When God Made You might be a little more tricky because there's a lot of keyboard, you know, synthesizers and stuff happening in that. So, you know, I, I also the thing is too, that the songs stick with me. Like certain songs, you know, like Mountains, for example, that, that melody it always is in my head, like comes and goes and so I think the songs that stick with me, like Dogs, for example, definitely I definitely want to play that one live. Um, so we'll have to see. You know, I haven't put a lot of thought into that yet because I know I have a little bit of time before we tour. But it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see what I end up pulling, you know, for the live set. Yeah, that's interesting. You mentioned Dogs because you know Crash and I were talking, you know, in the first part of the review about that song and how that's such an interesting perspective on a relationship ending uh you know right. it was yeah. it was so cool because you know when you're taking the dog with you the, you know, the dog kind of treats <laughs> you better i'm like that's so true we've all been there you know <laughs> um, I, I don't even know where that how that song came uh i i, I love that song it's just, you know, i i tend to like the more depressing songs for some reason they're they're kind of fun to write you know maybe because i'm you know I'm probably at heart a, a very happy person, so 
sometimes I like to delve into the dark side a little bit. I don't know. Uh, but like Devil's Hand and Dogs, you know, they're two of my favorite songs. And, you know, the opening song, uh, Stick the Knife, I, I really like that one. You know, I, I like the transition. One of the things I did on this record that I, I is, you know, I did a lot of it is these kind of unexpected kind of transitions. Like, you know, Devil's Hand, you know, on the surface, it appears like a, a typical, you know, sorrowful ballad. But suddenly it takes a turn and there's this kind of Stanley Clark-esque bass solo that evolves into like a really up-tempo, crazy kind of almost bebop-type guitar solo. So, you know, I really had fun doing this. And I did that kind of thing a couple times on the record. So, you know, that was fun just to kind of change the approach, you know, in arrangement and production. Yeah, I also felt that way, too, with your song, My Circles. You know, we always think of the circles of life that you are in and surrounding yourself with. And it was such an interesting perspective on that song, lyrically. Now, here you, this is, here's a perfect example of something. Now, I'm talking about dogs. I'm talking about devil's hands. I'm talking about sticks and knives. These are, for whatever reason, these songs are clear in my mind. My Circles, I would have to, even though the record is new, I would have to go back and remind myself because right now off the top of my head I don't know how that song goes I can't I can't remember any of it you know what I mean so like yeah. it's interesting like how, how as a writer's mind you know certain songs for whatever reason are, are really engraved in my brain and then other ones I'm like oh I forgot I wrote that and that happens to me with, with people I meet like someone say oh my god your song and they'll say a song title like oh your song My Addiction and I'm like My Addiction I never wrote a song called My Addiction. And then suddenly I'm like, oh, yeah, I did. I remember that. Now they remind me. And this is a weird thing that happens. It's nothing to do with being senile or being old. It's having written a lot of music over the course of time. And I also believe, too, with Turning the Table, with the James Brown yeah, vocal. Yeah, I love that song. Yeah, it's got, a, it's got a total James Brown approach to it vocally. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, yes. And, and it's kind of... It's an interesting song. Like in the beginning, I'm I'm talking in this kind of creepy little high pitched voice, and I'm saying all this fucked up shit, and it's basically stuff that I've heard record executives say to me, you know. And I kind of have it kind of muted, so you don't really know what I'm saying. But I actually am talking shit about, you know, I'm, I'm mimicking them because my whole career in the '90s, I had to listen to such nonsense from people that never had anything to do with the music and, you know, worrying about things and creating obstacles that fucked up stuff. And so that song is kind of about that. It's kind of about people too, that like talk a lot of shit, but then they're talking, but they never did anything. Like they have, you know, it's like, you, you know, you can hate on someone's artistic work, but if you've never done anything artistic, why are you even saying anything? That's just, I don't know. There's a, that song is directed towards people that can't keep their mouth shut. I loved it. Yeah, and I love the approach. I mean, you know, even you know that first disc that 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 hits you so hard with so many great songs on that. You know, you mentioned Devil's Hand and the, and Stick the Knife and As You Are and Dogs, but just uh, love the the Sly and the Family Stone feel, the Stevie Wonder feel, different vocal approaches on different songs throughout the whole album. It uh, it's just a remarkable piece of work. 
and I just now remembered my circles. Now I, the, the melody just came into my head just now. Isn't that funny? Yeah, yeah. But I love the perspective <laughs> on that song, you know? Because I, you know, on the third review that'll air tonight, me and Crash were talking, and I mentioned about how my uncle, when I was a young kid and I was living out in California for a little bit, he used to tell me about how you're in your circle of life at the age of 18. That's the only circle you know. And as you get older, you expand into other circles. And I, that's the connection I got from that song. And I loved it. It was great. I hate to do this. I got the other interview on the other line. I oh, got to go. Not a problem, Richie. Thank you very much for doing this. I do appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. All right. Once again, everybody, this is Jay Scott. This is The Hook Rocks. Thank you for listening to the interview with Richie Kotzen and I. We will talk again soon. Thank you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.